So when you go to a wedding, especially your own wedding, it's not fun to miss out on the food uh, that's provided. Amanda and I, at our wedding, wasn't a huge wedding, wasn't a big ordeal, but we had some really good food that was provided. And we had some people that had made a, a to-go box, a plate of food, all this food that was provided that, that we were going to take with us when we left. And we never ate at the wedding, nor did the food make it in the car. <laughs> so we get in the car, start to go down the road. Hey, let's grab some of that food. Oh, yeah, we don't have the food. So very first meal together as a married couple, pulled through the drive-thru at Wendy's. We'll take two orders of chicken nuggets and a chocolate frosty because we have no money. And we're newlyweds. So our very first meal together, chicken nuggets and a frosty at, at Wendy's. You know, it was a good shot. We did, we did the best we could. The reason... I was really excited about eating the food. One of the reasons I was excited about eating the food from our wedding is I didn't have a traditional groom's cake. I would have been a perfect candidate for the groom's cake shaped like a golf club or a golf course. I've got my master's green on. You can't see it, but I've got my master's polo on under here. Like I'm ready for you know, the golf today, but I would have been a perfect candidate for that. We didn't do that. Instead, here's my groom's cake. It was a tower, multiple towers of Oreos, and there were pitchers of milk around there. I think maybe the greatest groom's cake in the history of weddings, if I, if I might say so myself. I got more feedback on my tower of Oreo uh, and, and pitchers of milk than maybe anything else. It's not good to go to a wedding and miss out on the food. Mark chapter 2, verse 18. Now John's disciples... And the Pharisees were fasting. And people came and said to Jesus, Hey, why do John's disciples and the disciples, the followers of the Pharisees, why did they fast, but your disciples do not fast? All right, kids in the room, you see the word fast up there or fasting, and it, it sounds like a word where you move really quickly, you run and go places. The word fast, though, the way we're using it here is where people would choose not to eat food for a certain amount of time. Fasting, where you're not eating food, and, and sometimes you're not drinking, but usually it's just not eating food for a certain amount of time. It's interesting that we're talking about a passage about fasting this morning because we're starting to move into the month of Ramadan uh, for, for our Muslim neighbors and friends and coworkers. Ramadan is a month, uh, not a traditional as we would think month on the calendar, but, but a time within the Islamic calendar of fasting throughout the day. So, so many of your Muslim coworkers or neighbors will be fasting throughout the day, and then we'll have this incredible iftar celebration at night, this, this coming together to eat and feast. Let me encourage you, use this month, especially as Ramadan coincides, matches up with Easter on the calendar, have those conversations engage with your Muslim coworkers and, and neighbors. There's so many prayer guides out there. For many people from that tradition, Ramadan is a time of fasting, but it's a time that their hearts are open to spiritual things, open to conversations. We, we wanna take, take advantage of that. And, and some of this conversation about fasting applies somewhat to, to that Muslim tradition, but here we know we have a tradition where John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees they're very focused on this practice of fasting. Now, who are we talking about? Who are John's disciples and who are the disciples of the Pharisees? So the disciples of John here are the followers of John the Baptist. And John the Baptist in the Bible is this 
bridge figure when you're going from the Old Testament to the New Testament, from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant. And John is making this transition, and we find places in Scripture where John's disciples, his followers, are still very much connected to the older way of doing things. They're still very much connected to the traditions, and we would call them late adopters. Many of us in here are late adopters when it comes to technology. Like, you guys are, are just now opening up a Facebook page, or you're, like, you're just now getting a smartphone, or very late adopters on certain technology. The disciples of John are late adopters when it comes to understanding the ministry of Jesus and, and what he's come to do. So they're, they're still very much connected to the past and ways of doing it. The disciples of the Pharisees, we know the Pharisees are committed to separating themselves off in certain ways from the people to be completely devoted to the law of God, completely devoted to purity and, and the way of the Lord. And so you have two groups of people who are committed to past traditions and who have a lot of focus on following these different religious traditions. These, these are the groups of people. And one of the things they would do is they would often fast, not eat at certain times. So for the Jewish people, only one day of fasting was prescribed in the law per year, and that would happen on the Day of Atonement. But the Pharisees and John's followers, they would fast twice a week, Monday and Thursday. We don't know if they fasted all their meals or just one meal, but on Monday and Thursday, they would choose to fast from food, which wouldn't be a big deal, except they made a big deal out of it. <laughs> so there was a lot of showmanship, and look at us, and look how religious we are, and look how we're still connected to these practices. We're more devoted to the faith because we fast twice a week, and we're a really big deal, and we want you to know about it. And don't you dislike people like that? Like, I'm a really big deal, and I'm really devoted to this, and I really want you to know about it. And so they were fasting, and some people come along and said to Jesus, so these people are super religious. They're committed to the way of God. They're fasting all the time. Why do your disciples not fast? And they may be asking an honest question, but the question seems to be kind of cutting, like, who are your disciples? Why, why are they not following the traditions? The followers of Jesus were not devoted to the traditions and the power structures the way these other people were. And still to this day, this causes trouble. Because you have people who are wholeheartedly following Jesus, and they may not be connected to the traditions and the systems that have been there in the past, and there's this clash between new and old. And we're gonna talk about that more as we go through here. But you see the tension that's building. So what does Jesus do in verse 19? Watch, watch Jesus reply in verse 19. Why aren't your disciples fasting? Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. Here, you have a picture Jesus brings in of this wedding party, this wedding festival. And if you're going to go to a wedding, you're there to celebrate. It's not a time to practice fasting. It's a time to celebrate because you're with the bridegroom, you're with the bride, you're with the guests. In the ancient world, and still in cultures around the world today, weddings weren't a two-hour affair. They were a multi-day party. Huge party, huge expenses. I looked up this last week, just for the fun of it, how much the average wedding cost in America today. And then I realized I had two daughters, and then I closed that webpage, and I, I didn't go back to it. Um, so 
Weddings are expensive. Weddings are a big deal. There's this huge celebration going on. All these people are invited, and Jesus says, if you're invited to a wedding, don't show up and be a Debbie Downer. Get there, get there and feast. Get there and be a part of the celebration. Now, remember, remember as well, the previous story in Mark's gospel is about how Jesus was known for getting together with tax collectors and sinners and feasting and celebrating. He's not known for fasting. He's known for feasting. He's known for these celebrations. What was the first miracle that Jesus did according to John's gospel? He went to a wedding. You think about the significance of weddings and marriages throughout the Bible. At the very beginning of the Bible, you have this picture of a marriage. The very last picture in the Bible, in the book of Revelation at the end, is another picture of a wedding happening. The importance of the Song of Solomon, and, and it's key to helping us interpret God's relationship with his people. Then you take something like Isaiah chapter 62 in the, in the Old Testament. Uh, 62 verse 5. As a young man marries a young woman, so will your builder marry you. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will your God rejoice over you. If you know the Hosea story, you got the same type of imagery. Uh, there was a lady at the little church that I grew up in. Whenever it came time to sing the special on Sunday night, the special music, she would always sing this song called Beulah Land. Never had a clue what the word Beulah meant, but she's saying Beulah Land all the time. It's, it's the word for married. It's when God draws his people together. It's this picture of, of marriage. In the Old Testament, watch what's about to happen because this is what makes the Bible so incredible. In the Old Testament, you have God portrayed as this bridegroom who's coming together with his people in this picture of marriage. What's Jesus doing here in verse 19? Jesus said to them, can the wedding guest fast while the bridegroom is with them? Friends, who's the bridegroom? God. And Jesus is telling these Pharisees, these followers of John, the bridegroom is with you. He has come. Jesus is calling them to understand who he truly is. That he has not just come as another prophet like John. He's not just come to reestablish the religious traditions. He's not just come to teach them a better way to live. He has come to fulfill the promises of Scripture. That he is God with us. And this picture of a wedding, this picture of him being a bridegroom, is taking all of this wedding material from the Old Testament and bringing it to fulfillment here in the ministry of Jesus. Jesus is calling them here to recognize who he is and what he has come to do. Because if they truly recognized who Jesus was, they would be celebrating, not fasting and holding on to their old religious traditions at this point, they would be celebrating and going crazy. And this tension of understanding who Jesus is and what he's come to do, this is a tension we still live with. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I went down to Houston for a young pastor's conference and training conference, and so flew down to Houston for a couple of days. And talk about a late adopter to technology, I took my first Uber ride ever. So uh, who knew? You just hop on this app, you can get a car to come pick you up, take you where you need to go. So I know it's embarrassing, but I took my first ever Uber ride. So I fly in there to the international airport in Houston, use the Uber app, surprisingly easy. Even I was able to do it. Uh, car comes and picks me up. 
really nice gentleman named Salim from Afghanistan who had moved to Houston years before and uh, had a pretty good ride to the hotel to get there. And Salim and I were able to talk about what does it mean to live in a country where you have people from all these different backgrounds and you're trying to get to know people and understand people. And we talked about heaven and Salim tried to compare Houston to heaven, and I told him his view of heaven might be a little, little reduced. If, I mean, I'm, nothing against Houston, but Houston sure ain't heaven. Um, and, and so we started to talk about what it meant to, uh, to know God's work in our life, and we're just about to pull up to the hotel. And Salim said, you know, I believe your Jesus is, is a great teacher and a, a really important religious man, but I don't believe he's God. And I said, Salim, I think as we pull up to the hotel, we found our point uh, here of, of conversation here. I know our conversation is over, but I hope you'll consider that when Jesus came, nothing about the scripture says he came just as a prophet. Nothing about the scripture said he came just as a teacher. He didn't come just to hold on the traditions. He didn't come just to establish a new religion. He came as God with us. And not only God with us, but as the one who would give his life to destroy the power of sin and death, and then would rise again to destroy the power of death forever. And this is the picture that Jesus is laying out here in this parable. Verse 20, Jesus says to them, here's where our connection with Holy Week starts to come into these verses. Jesus says in verse 20, the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. Most weddings, the groom and the bride are just trying to get the guests to leave so they can move on with life. Imagine a wedding where someone breaks into the wedding and forcibly drags the groom out of the wedding. And that'd be a pretty crazy wedding to attend. Some of you probably attended some crazy weddings. Uh, I've officiated some crazy weddings, but imagine one where someone comes into the wedding and dra drags the groom out. You've got this, this idea here where it says the bridegroom is taken away from them. That phrase in your Bible, you gotta watch that phrase, that's the same phrase that will be used when Jesus is taken away. So Jesus is giving them a picture here early on. He knows where his ministry is leading. He knows that he's the bridegroom who's come. He knows that he's God with us. He also knows that he, knows that he is going to be forcibly taken away here. Now watch how that word's gonna show up in the very next verse. Next verse, 21. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. Now when I was thinking about these verses, I decided to go to the experts on this, so I went to our quilting ladies who meet on, uh, who meet on Thursday mornings and make the prayer quilts that you see out there in the... Uh, in the lobby. So they gave me a patch of old garment and a patch of new garment. I have no idea why the old torn up garment is orange and the new garment is, uh, is maroon. Like, beats me. I have no idea how that happened. Craziest, craziest thing I've ever seen. But uh, anyway, they have. Imagine if you tried to sew those two together, if you tried to hold those two together, they're not gonna hold them well together, not only because of the colors, but because of the way the, the, the material is put together. If you put them together, they're ultimately gonna be torn apart. The phrase there in verse 21, if you do put these together, the patch tears away from it. 
It doesn't look like in English, but that's the exact same phrasing from the previous verse and the same phrasing that's going to be using, used for Jesus' betrayal when he's taken away to the cross. Then he turns around and, and gives another parable in the next verse, verse 22. No one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins. We'll pay attention to that word in a second. And the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. Now I asked our quilting ladies, and they claimed no help on this verse. Like they couldn't provide any illustrations or any help in understanding the verse. So I'm going to trust them that they weren't able to provide any help on, on this particular verse. I have no illustrations to show you uh, about this verse in particular but you get the idea. Here's an old container, an old wineskin. New wine is being added to that, and the old is not able to contain. It's not made to hold what is new here. This idea here is that when you pour in this new wine, the old wineskin will burst and everything will be destroyed. That word there in the middle of 22 where it says the wine will burst the skins, it's the word for destroy and the same word that's when it's used again in Mark, it's used for Jesus' destruction. Jesus is telling two stories, two parables, about how his ministry is coming into the world. The kingdom of God is breaking into the world through the ministry of Jesus, and the old systems of the world are not able to contain what Jesus is doing in the world with being God with us, with bringing salvation, with dying and rising again. And he's showing them a picture of this. Why? Point number one this morning. When we understand what Jesus has come to do, we understand that he is calling us to faith. We are on the way to faith. Jesus, in his ministry, as he's giving these stories, as he's explaining these parables, as he's telling what he has come to do, he's doing it in a way that is trying to call people out of their old way of living to faith in him. I love this quote up here. We're going to talk about the first slide, and I'll show you the conclusion in just a second. Jesus is not an attachment or addition to your life. The question is not whether disciples will make room for Jesus in their already full agendas and lives. Let's hold there for a second. When many people think about church or religion or faith or Jesus, in their minds, their plate in life is already completely full. <laughs> like, I don't have time to go to church. I, I don't have time to add something else to my life. And if I do, it's just added to an already full plate that I already feel overwhelmed with. Friends, Jesus is not an addition or an attachment to your life. We are not adding him in to an already overly stuffed schedule. When he comes, he is doing something brand new. Because if you try to take this new work of Jesus and add it to the old ways of your life and it's just put together, it's not going to hold together. At some point, it's going to tear apart. Jesus makes all things new. Second part of this quote here. The question is whether people will forsake business as usual and join the wedding celebration. What is your relationship with Jesus? How do you see Jesus? And I want to be very, very careful because you may be here this morning and you hold to the idea that Jesus is a good prophet and he is a good teacher and he was a great religious historical figure, but you struggle with the idea that he was God who came to be with us to bring salvation. 
I hear you, I, I understand that. As you look at scripture, I want you to see that we don't lay Jesus before you, we don't present this idea before you to add it to your plate, to add it to your life. We present Jesus to you because he is life. That he takes all the junk of our life, he takes all the pain, he takes all the old ways of our life, and what is old is made new. That you are given new life, and not only new life, but eternal life. And so if you're here this morning, and you've never trusted in Jesus for salvation, let today be the day of salvation. Let today be the day that you turn to Jesus. Or maybe you start to think about this in a new way this morning, and throughout Holy Week, you come up here to the prayer event, or you go to the Good Friday service, or you come back next Sunday on Easter. Can I just ask you this week to open your heart to Jesus, that he has come as God with us. He has come to defeat sin, and defeat death, and to give you life. And I know that can sound so simple, and it sounds like old school religion, but friends, it's life. It's from the word of God that you would know that you can have life. And so we are drawn to Jesus to, to have this faith. We are on the way to grow in our faith, to know who he is. The questions are, if you have faith in Jesus, how does this passage teach you to live out that faith? So many of you here this morning would say, Jesus gave me new life, and he's the only hope I have in life, and he is my hope for all of eternity. How does this particular story help me live out that faith? Well, point number two is with Jesus, we are on the way to fasting. We are on the way to learning what it means to fast. You have that verse there in verse 20. Jesus says, when the bridegroom, he's speaking of himself, when the bridegroom is taken away, then they will fast. So after Jesus' death and resurrection, as he goes back to be with the Father, we live in, in between the times. This is the best way we know how to describe it. There's different ways to talk about this. We live in between the cross and the second coming of Jesus. We live in this period here at Emmaus that we call the already not yet. I know you guys are probably tired of that if you've hung around Emmaus for a while, but I just think it's so helpful. Already Jesus' victory has come in the world. Already you've experienced that in your life. We know that that's true. Not yet have we seen all that that's going to mean because we live in a world of a lot of darkness and a lot of sin and a lot of pain and a lot of death and a lot of evil. We live in a world where not all of those things have been completely removed and yet we live in a world where we already embrace the victory that we have in Jesus. And so in this in-between time, fasting is a way that we are able to say no to the things of the world that dominate us and to turn and put our hands before the Lord and say yes to him. In fasting, you are saying no in order to say yes. You're, you're creating in your life this hunger for the things of God. And this hunger, this fasting that happens in the Christian life, some of it is just discipline, that you have times that you fast in your life because you need to step away from something and focus on the Lord. Sometimes fasting in your life is created by a crisis that comes into your life. There are things that happen in our lives that happen in such a way that you say to yourself, I don't feel like eating right now. Like, I just, I just physically cannot eat because of how sick I feel about the brokenness and the pain and the evil in the world. And, and that becomes a time of fasting where we take that hunger, we take that, that physical pain, and we turn it back to the Lord and say, Lord, I need you. I'm broken, I don't wanna eat, I'm not drawn to the things of this world, I just need you. 
Let me encourage you, Emmaus. This week, this holy week, would you choose some way that you can fast as a way to say no to something in order to say yes to time with the Lord, calling out to the Lord for his work in, in your life and people around you? For many of you, that can be food, that, that you would set aside a meal or a day this week and say, I'm not going to eat, I'm going to say no to that, and I'm going to take that time, and I'm going to devote it to prayer and focusing on the Lord and asking God to bring salvation, asking God to work in my family. For many of you, for physical reasons, please don't do that, all right? Uh, if, if that would be something that your medical doctor would not want you to do because of medicine you're taking or because of things going on in your life, Fasting from food may not make sense. It, it may not be something you're able to do, but there may be other ways that you can fast. Uh, this week, Holy Week, you might decide to take a day or two away from your phone. Uh, that's probably a fast that many of us could use anyway. Uh, I'm putting away the technology. If I could go without food, I would, but physically, it's not gonna be the right thing for me to do, but I can put my phone away, or, or I can turn off the music, or I can turn off the TV, or, or I can take a break from this. I'm saying no to something because my heart is so drawn to want to see God move in power. I'm saying no to something because I realize I live in a world that is broken and evil and difficult and painful. And all you gotta do is talk to a friend or turn on the news and, and you see that to be true. You feel it in your gut. And so you take that and you turn your hands to the Lord in prayer and say, God, I trust you. So this story about faith in Jesus draws us to understand how fasting works in the Christian life, how it draws us back to him. Finally, let's look at this point. It's also a passage that helps us think about the future. We are on the way to the future that God has for us. This idea that you can't add new wine to old wineskins. You can't sew a new garment onto an old garment. Isaiah chapter 49, verse 19. Behold, I am doing a new thing, says the Lord. In life in general, <laughs> and especially in church, it's easy for old and new to be in conflict. Uh, do you like the old music or the new music? Do you like the old people or the new people? Do you like the old ways of doing things or the new ways of doing things? And if we're not careful, old and new find themselves constantly battling, constantly being in tension. Hear me clearly on this point. We value, value the gift of tradition. Tradition is a wonderful gift. We are not saying we add new things to Scripture. We're not saying we add new things to the plan of salvation. None of that. But there is a difference between tradition and traditionalism. Uh, tradition says, I value the past. I value church history. I value learning from those who come before me. Traditionalism says we're going to hold on to tradition more than we're going to pursue the ministry of Jesus. And that gets us in a dangerous place. If the old ever causes us to back away from the mission of Jesus, we're holding on to something in this world and not what God has for us for the future. If we just chase every new fad and those take us away from Jesus, that's not good either. Because there's a type of new that's put out there in the world that also takes you far from Jesus, and, and that's not good either. But we're not going to allow models or ministries or methods to pull us away from the new things that God wants to do in and through his people. That we are committed to the mission. We are committed to what God has for us. This week, here's my question for you. What does God want to do in your life this holy week? What does God have for you 
What is he calling you to do? How is he calling you to respond? What new thing does he want to do in and through your life or in and through our church that we have to trust him for? We have to say, God, we value the old, but we're looking to the future. We look to the future not with fear, but with faith. We are excited to see how God's gonna move. If you have questions about faith, if you're here this morning and you wanna talk about Jesus, you wanna talk about salvation, as soon as we take the Lord's Supper and we sing the doxology, I'll be right here at the front. I wanna talk to you about that. There's a card in the seat back, hopefully. We're refilling some of those cards. There's a QR code on the seat back in front of you. You can reach out to us. If you have questions about faith, if you're ready to trust in Jesus for salvation, don't leave this place without talking to somebody. And if you already are a follower of Jesus, ask yourself this week, how can I fast and how can I look to the future? What do I need to say no to to say yes to God? And what new thing does God want to do in my life and through my life that maybe I'm not allowing him to do right now? Would you bow your heads with me in prayer? Palm Sunday, we take the Lord's Supper together as we begin Holy Week, reminding ourselves that this week is devoted to the cross and resurrection of Jesus. I pray, friends, as you go to work this week, teenagers, as you guys go to school this week, let your heart be open to the cross and resurrection of Jesus. Keep your eyes open for conversations you can have. God, I pray for people here this morning who are battling with faith. They may struggle with believing in Jesus because they've been really hurt by people in the past or seen really bad examples of Christianity lived out. God, would you bring healing in their lives and help them look back to Jesus in a fresh way? God, I pray this week that our church would fast, that we would fast because there's so much brokenness and evil in the world. There are so many people who have never experienced salvation through Jesus. And God, let us be a church, just like these little kids up here singing at the beginning of this service. Let us be a church that's focused on the future. God, let us be a church that moves with excitement into the future for the new things you're gonna do. And Father, we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. 